You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Sally. Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome for what is week one of a brand new sermon series that we are starting today. A sermon series you can see is called Thou Shalt Not. Thou Shalt Not. I feel like I need to like channel like a Sean Connor, like a Thou Shalt Not, um, in order to pronounce it correctly. If you spent any time in church, if you spent any time in church, uh, you know uh, that uh, there are a whole bunch of rules uh, inside the church. Some are spoken, some are unspoken, uh, but we've got all kinds of rules on all kinds of different topics, uh, rules on what good Christians can wear and if they can drink and what dating looks like and uh, what types of music they can listen to, ranging all over the map. I went to a private Christian college, actually, and we had a rule while we were on campus that uh, we had separated male and female dorms, and if ever you went over to a female dorm, the, one of the rules was you had to keep your feet on the floor at all times. <laughs> I don't think anyone had the heart to tell them that you could... Anyway, okay, so um, <laughs> the point being, there are a whole bunch of rules whole bunch of rules. And let's not get it twisted. Some of the rules that exist within church, some of the rules that you've been exposed to uh, in, in sub-Christian cultures are good for us, right? They're good for us. They've protected us. They've, they've shielded us. They've preserved and cultivated a really healthy relationship with ourselves and with God and with one another. And then there are a whole bunch of other rules that appear man-made. They appear like they were created by a certain type of of Christian, a certain type of person. Uh, And so the whole goal of this sermon series is actually to sort of set all this aside just for a quick moment, and let's revisit all of these rules and ask the question, not how do human beings define right versus wrong, but how does God define what is right and what is wrong? When it comes to this whole really messy, ambiguous conversation on morality, how do I make sure that the morality that I'm ascribing to is that of Jesus himself, right? And so over the course of these next several weeks, uh, we're going to dive into a whole bunch of different rules that you have heard, uh, spoken and unspoken, implicit or explicitly uh, here in the church. But today we're going to start really simply, okay? So all the rule followers, take a deep breath. It's okay. We're going to go nice and slow, nice and easy, okay? Because the very first rule that you find, whether it's spoken or unspoken, whether it was ever said to you or not, is this, that in order to be a good Christian, you want to be a good, faithful follower of Jesus, thou shalt go to church. All right? Thou shalt go to church. And I'm going to uh, clear the air here right at the jump. It is always risky uh, whenever pastors and Christian leaders attempt to address this topic. Why? Because no matter how you slice it, no matter how you pitch it, it can come across as self-serving, right? You should come to church. 
because it's not nearly as fun preaching to an empty room. Like, it's not as fun doing any of that. So just come, please, for my sake and kind of for your sake, right? It's kind of like that friend uh, who's always in, into the uh, newest pyramid scheme. You remember this one from a couple years ago? Remember LuLaRoe? Uh, this friend who would, like, message you and be like, hey, girl, so, like, we're getting together on Friday and really want you to come. And, like, just a couple of us. It's going to be so much fun. And so you're excited. You're getting this invite on Facebook, and you're like, oh, my gosh, yes, I want to go. Like, this sounds like really, really fun. I want to get closer with this person. I want to meet some other friends. This sounds like a really, really good time. And so you say, you RCP, you're like, yes, I'll totally be there. And she goes, great. Uh, just so you know, I'm going to be rolling out my newest selection of yoga pants. And so um, bring your checkbook. And you're like, dang it, bait and switch, bait and switch. Sometimes, sometimes it can feel like that, right? When pastors get up and talk to you about the need or even the topic of church attendance. And so again, I'm going to clear the air. You ready? I'm going to clear the air. I'm going to say something to you that uh, no pastor wants to say or maybe is afraid to say, which is on the question of do you have to go to church to be a good Christian? The answer is no. The answer is no. One does not guarantee the other. You can go to church all you want. It does not guarantee that that makes you a faithful follower of Jesus. It doesn't make you, it doesn't guarantee a faithful relationship with Jesus any more than me going to Bass Pro Shops makes me a fisherman. I'm awful at fishing, but I love their hats, and the aquarium is really cool. And so, if the answer is no then what gives? Well, here's what I've found. Here's what I've found. While the answer to that question is no, there is a but. There was always going to be a but. And here's the but. The but is if you don't, if you choose to, you know, I don't know, church, organized religion, like it's just too hard, it's always in the way of my schedule, and there's just too much going on. So, like, if you choose to do faith alone, or you choose to have a really sporadic on and off again sort of relationship with church or with a faith community writ large. What you will have to do, while attending a church might be optional, what you'll have to do is figure out what are your strategies for avoiding one of three, three really, really big temptations. I think there are three temptations, three traps, three pitfalls that await anyone who says, you know what? Forget it. I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't want to be a part of a community. It's too messy. There's too many people. I want to do it all by myself. If you're going to do that, okay, then you have to figure out how you're going to avoid three big pitfalls. Kyle, what are those? We'll come to them in a moment. But first, we're going to return back to our scripture passage for today because it sets up this conversation beautifully. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or if you're watching this online and you want to follow along, uh, go ahead and return back to Hebrews chapter 10. Go ahead and uh, return back to the passage that Sally just read a couple moments ago. If you're new to reading the Bible, if you're new to studying scripture, just to give you a little, of, a little bit of context. So Hebrews is located in the New Testament, located in the New Testament, and it's located after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So... So, uh, most scholars put it somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, maybe even 60 years after Jesus is already gone. And so the church is right in the early days. It's in the early days of figuring out how are we going to be the church and what does it mean to be the church and how do we gather and what do we do and all of those various things. And in the midst of that, during the context of this passage, 
So Hebrews, is, it's an anonymous author. We don't know who wrote it, and we don't know which particular church he was writing it to. And so what that means oftentimes is that it was written to the church generally, and it was meant to be shared amongst the churches. And what we know about the context of the author and the timing of Hebrews is that they had seen recently an uptick in persecution. Okay? So the early church is now at the place where they've got enough momentum. This Jesus guy ain't around anymore, but they're getting a lot of momentum. And so they're starting to be seen as a threat. So the, the persecution of these groups is starting to rise. It's starting to see a big uptick. And so the author of Hebrews starts having a concern that he's watching many of these churches, in his words, shrink back. Shrink back. He's afraid that in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of all this hardship, the church is shrinking back. Now, what does that look like tangibly? That's where he says, also in Hebrews chapter 10, what that looks like, how this takes form. How it takes form, what he's seeing is this. He says, so, don't shrink back. Like, don't, don't let all of the situation and all that's going on in the world impede and hurt and harm uh, your belief. He says this. He says very tangibly, for example, don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. And here, what actually the author of Hebrews is pointing out is one of the four reasons. So I did some research earlier this week. One of the four reasons as to why people typically will disengage from church. They'll disengage from faith communities. Here they are. The first of which, uh, the first reason, major reason why people disengage from church and uh, sort of a larger faith community is a major disruption. Now, this could be a major disruption in the world, like what we just went through. Uh, but this could also be a major disruption in their own life. Divorce breakup, lost a job, someone in their family died, and they're grieving, and they just never got back into the habit. It broke it for them. Secondly, another major reason why people disengage from church is doctrinal disagreement. They hear something on a Sunday, or they hear something in teaching, and it doesn't like, quite align with what they've always been taught, and instead of asking questions about it or doing some deeper digging and wrestling with it, they just leave. They go, well, it doesn't, that's not what I think, so I'm out of here. Number three is they, they feel disconnected. So they come to church, and they say, man, this feels like a home, but I can't ever find my way into a small group. I feel like I'm struggling to make friends. This is why, by the way, we talk so much about, Pastor Amanda talks so much about the uh, influence and the importance of small groups and classes and social events that happen outside of church because Sunday morning is crazy. It's hard to find community on Sunday morning. This is the front porch. Everything else we're trying to funnel you toward is the living room where you'll make the real connections and find your faith family. Does that make sense? And then fourthly and finally, uh, unresolved conflict. Something happened at church. Something happened with a, a church member. Maybe someone cut you in line at the coffee shop and you said, this is not the type of place I want to be. And you walked out and you left. You never came back. So here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. At no point in this conversation do I wish to dismiss those or devalue those. Because there's good chance that every single person listening to this online or here in person has experienced levels and degrees of one of those four, okay? And it's painful, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Not if, when. When you have some variation of those experiences while you were here at this church, I want to encourage you, no, forget that. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to resist the natural impulse of your body and the natural forces of this world that tell you in those moments to just ditch, just get out of here, just run. 
and lean in. Lean in. At least make an attempt to resolve this barrier that is standing in between you and this community. Why? Really, for two reasons. The first of which is because if you don't, the same issue will just be waiting for you at the next church. And the next one. And the next one. You ever heard the saying, wherever you go, there you are? So find a way to resolve it. Otherwise, you'll constantly find yourself suffering from the same problem, thinking it's them, when maybe, just maybe, it's inside. The second reason why I would strongly challenge you when you experience those to lean in is because, again, when you step out there and you try to do it all by yourself, there's some really, really big pitfalls, some really, really big traps waiting for you. I alluded to them earlier, and here they are. The first of which is this. The first temptation that you'll face if you say, nope, forget that, don't want to do church, don't want to do community, don't want to do all the people stuff, that's what always gets uh, so messy, and I don't enjoy that very much. I'm going to do it all by myself, just me and Jesus, it's going to be great. The first trap and temptation waiting for you is without anyone else around you, without any other opinions or worldviews or perspectives around you to challenge you, to speak to you, you will be super tempted to simply make God into your image. If there ain't no one else around you challenging you, bringing a different perspective, bringing a different vantage point on the matter, what you'll do eventually is you'll just sort of shape and shift and mold and form God into exactly who you want God to be. A God who agrees with all the same things that you already think, sees the world the same way that you see them, hates all the same people you do. You'll just sort of merge and shape God into whatever God is most convenient to you, right? And sometimes this happens intentionally, and sometimes this happens purely on accident. You don't even know you're doing it. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesians. In his letter to the Ephesians, he's saying, listen, one of the things that you have to understand is that the things that are having the biggest influence on you are not flesh and blood. It's not the things that you can see. It's all these invisible things that you're not even paying attention to, all these invisible messages you're being fed all the time. Check this out. I read these stats earlier this week, and it blew my mind. These are all the messages that are coming at you just on a daily basis, just on a daily basis. On average, the average person receives 120 emails per day. They receive 50 text messages per day. You spend 2.5 hours on social media, and that's like so you're scrolling through like, you know, soccer pictures and weddings, but now they're getting savvy. Like now those companies are starting to figure out like what you shop for and stuff like that. And so now ads can sort of like pay for access to your habits. This is where you have, this is the cookie thing you always have to click. You remember those buttons? So frustrating. Anyway, this leads to the fourth and final one, which is right now, right now, and this number I'm sure has grown in the last year. You're exposed to four to 10,000 different messages, advertisements, people trying to get your attention every single day. And whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to, like, accept it or not, they are influencing not only the way in which you see the world, but they are 100% influencing the way in which you see God. I'll give you an example from my own life. Give you an example from my own life. Two weeks ago, I was, I was on a walk, and I was praying, and um, I was talking to Jesus, and I was apologizing. I was apologizing because... 
the previous two days, I wasn't very present to Jesus. I was not speaking. I was not praying a whole lot. I was not really into it, uh, and I was struggling. I was wrestling with the decision. I was really anxious. I was really worried about it. And as I was wrestling, I wasn't involving God. I was tackling it by myself. So I went for a walk, and I'm sitting there praying, and I'm talking to Jesus, and I'm apologizing. And I, like, I, I kept apologizing. You ever done this before? Like, you apologize once, and you just, like, keep doing it. And you're like, I'm, like, I really am sorry. It's like you're almost, like, trying to convince yourself that you're sorry. And so, like, I'm doing it for, like, like five, ten minutes. I keep going. I keep going. And I remember, plain as day, this voice speak in the core of my being. And it was the question, who are you talking to? And I was like, uh, I, th- I thought we were talking, but apparently you got distracted. Um, like, I was, I was here. Like, we were talking. We were having a really lovely conversation. I guess it meant something to me, not to you, but okay, whatever. That's fine. And, and like, and, but I felt like this, this, in my core being, I felt like this, this message of, like, why, are, why is it so hard for you to believe that I'm standing by ready to talk to you immediately? Why is it so hard for you to believe that I actually have no interest in you feeling all this guilt and all this shame. And this is exactly, in that moment, I, was, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that I had been so impacted by the voices of the world that I fell right back into that old habit of thinking that the thing that God wants for me when I screw up is guilt. It is feeling like a, a junk of a person and just sort of laying all that out before God. It's, it's, it's exactly what the world tells you, that if you mess up, you are going to get punished for it. We're going to get, we're going to get even. We're going to make sure that an eye for an eye. And God was the one on that walk saying, yo, that might be who the world is. But that ain't me. So just talk to me. We're good. Just talk to me. If you ain't paying attention, all the cacophony of voices that you're reading and hearing are influencing the way in which you see the world. You know what it's also like? It's also like it reminded me of uh, middle school when we went to CC's Pizza, and you used to get, uh, like, you'd have, like, endless opportunities at, like, the fountain drinks, and, like, we always did the, we, we called it swamp water, where you just go, and then you drank it, and you tried not to throw up. <laughs> in a way, in a way, this can happen to your relationship with Jesus. You can start off a Sprite, something like really clear. And the more stuff you add to it, the messier it gets. And this is why it's dangerous. You know, jokes aside, this is why it's so dangerous. What's so dangerous is that if all of, if you should begin to take all the things that are convenient to you, the God that you prefer, the God that you would make and choose, and that's who you turn Jesus into, here's what gets really tricky. The more you do that, the more you're going to lose track of the original. And when Jesus speaks to you, you won't recognize his voice anymore. When he shows up, you won't recognize his face anymore. Because it's become this mishmash of Kyle's beliefs, Kyle's theology. Because I had no one around to tell me otherwise. So you want to do faith alone, that's fine. You want to do faith alone, that's fine. You need to figure out how you're going to avoid turning God into your image. Number two, the other thing that you need to avoid is also this. The other temptation that's waiting for you out there is to not only have a a subjective faith, uh, not only let your faith become subjective, but become really, really self-serving, and to become one-dimensional. 
one-dimensional. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, oftentimes, when you go out and you say, I'm going to do faith alone, I'm going to do it by myself, just me and Jesus, what you'll end up with is exactly that, a vertical faith, a vertical-only faith, meaning your main priority is just making sure you're tending to, you're feeding, you're nurturing, you're cultivating your relationship with Jesus. But the neighbors, like, if I got time, I'll love the neighbor. Like, that's like extracurricular, right? Like, the main course, make sure I'm following Jesus and do what Jesus wants to do. The neighbor thing, like, ugh, like, that one gets messy. Like, I don't really want to do that very much. You see this on full display with the story of the Good Samaritan. Raise your hand if you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan before. So the story of the Good Samaritan, for all of us, for all of us, is this. It's the story of a dude who's walking down the road. He gets beat up, he gets mugged, and he gets thrown in a ditch. While he's lying there, two religious people, two religious people, two people with vertical faith walk up, see him, and do one of these. And they keep moving. Because they got vertical stuff to do. It's hard to see this image because it's really, really dark. Uh, but you can see the arrow pointing to both of the religious persons on their way to the temple because they got vertical stuff to do. They got to pray. Got a new Bethel playlist I got to check out. <laughs> got all kinds of devotionals and things going to be doodling and journaling about. I got a lot of vertical stuff to tend to. I ain't got time for none of that. And friends, hear me. Hear me. I understand that the messiness of church and the messiness of relationship can cause and invoke that reaction out of you. I get that. But what this story is, is it's a shocking reminder that you can actually leave God in your pursuit of God. You can walk right by him in pursuit of him. I wish, Jesus doesn't do this, Jesus, the, way Jesus, the way the rest of the story unfolds is Jesus follows the story of the hurt man and the good Samaritan who comes along and nurtures and cares for him. But I wish that Jesus would have taken just a couple minutes and followed the path, followed the story of the religious folks. Because if their experience was anything like mine, every single time I bypass an opportunity to love my neighbor in attempts to love God only, what happens is I walk into that church, I walk into that religious space, I walk into that religious practice, and guess what? I'm all alone. Jesus is outside with the neighbor. Jesus is outside with the person who's hurting. Jesus is outside with the broken. And I'm sitting there with my playlist, reading my devotional, all by myself. How do I know that? Because, and it's not to say that Jesus can't speak to you through worship. It's like, don't get it twisted. Don't overreact. It's not, it's not saying that God doesn't speak to us in our private devotional sort of things. It's not saying that. But it's just reminding you and me that the scripture passage in the Gospels does not say, Jesus does not say where you and your Jesus calling booklet are there I am among you. It doesn't say where me and my phone are alone. There I am among them. What does it say? Where two or more are gathered, 
there I am among them. There might be other gods out there that you can worship just you and God. Jesus ain't one of them. So again, you'll do faith alone. You'll do faith by yourself. That's fine. Make sure you figure out how in the world you're going to avoid that trap, which is the last one. So the last trap that is waiting for us. Now, again, why we're even having this conversation. Why you've heard this rule, spoken or unspoken, that good Christians ought to go to church. If we're reading it charitably, the reason why this rule exists, the reason why we speak it and emphasize it, is because the third temptation, the third trap that's waiting for you out there is not only a vertical faith, but a really, really vulnerable faith. Really, really vulnerable faith. Out there alone, you're going to be vulnerable to vices, to addictions, to suffering, to death, to loss, to doubts. And your entire relationship with Jesus is based and hinged upon your ability to keep believing all by yourself. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, no problem. Like, I can do that. Maybe you're a way better Christian than me. Maybe you're way stronger in your faith than I am. Maybe you are so much closer to Jesus than I am. But I'll be vulnerable with you for a moment. Friends, I actually don't know if I have what it takes to keep believing in Jesus all by myself. I've lived enough life to know that sometimes my faith is so daggum temperamental. Sometimes I wake up and I'm all about it. I'm very into it. I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very curious and I want to know what Jesus wants to say to me, what he wants to teach me, where he wants to lead me. And then there's other days where I wake up and I'm like, ugh, could not care less. Sorry. And what I've desperately needed, what has saved me, has been when someone randomly crosses my path or sends me a text message or I run into them at church and they say something that brings it back to life. I don't want to know. I swear, I do not want to know if I'd still be a believer if I didn't have you, if I didn't have my small group, if I didn't have my spiritual director, if I didn't have my pastor. I don't want to know. To me, it feels like a faith that is solely dependent upon my willpower is doomed to fail from the get-go. My devotion, my commitment to it. It'll always be so, so vulnerable to whatever season I'm going through. I'll give you an analogy that's kind of tangentially related. Uh, on Friday, uh, Friday night, uh, Marie and I went to our first post-pandemic concert um, and Raleigh went to the Ritz, and it was phenomenal. Other than the fact that now I'm 33, and I can't stand for very long, and so the fact standing there for four or five hours straight um, gave me back pain. Um, other than that, it was amazing. Anyway, so we're with 2,000 people. We're packed in this thing, and we're, we're singing these songs or whatever. And so anyway, about midway through the concert, midway through the concert, those of you who love live music, you know these moments. At midway through the concert, they bring the lights down, and they sing one of these favorites. One of these songs, like, you can be like a fringe-level fan of the band, and everybody knows this song. Like, you, uh, you know all the words of this song. So they bring the lights down, 
they start ripping into this song, and there's this moment, there's this really powerful moment where, again, it's, it was mostly millennials and Gen Zs. I actually think uh, we were some of the oldest people there. Anyway, I digress. But um, I wore like a young person shirt just to sort of like camouflage myself in. Anyway, um, during the concert, uh, in true millennial and Gen Z fashion, we don't use candlelights, we use our phones, and this is the moment we had. This is the moment we had. In that song, at that moment, I had been singing alone for two and a half years. I'd been singing it in the car when I was driving. I'd been singing it while I was in the shower. I'd been singing it while I was out for a run or something like that. I'd been singing it alone for two years. And in this moment, I screamed my lungs out. Why? Because like church, there's just some aspects, there's some magic you'll never get access to by yourself. There's some elements of this abundant life that Jesus talks so much about that you cannot get. Just you your laptop. What happened in that moment paled in compare, like what I, in that moment, all the times where I sang the song by myself and was all about the music all by myself, those moments paled in comparison. Couldn't, couldn't touch it, couldn't hold a candle huh? to this moment. Couldn't touch it. Couldn't touch it. I'll close here. Again, hear me, hear me. It is not lost on me how challenging it can be to be a part of a community. Not even just the relational stuff, right? The four stuff, the four reasons we talked about earlier. Also just like logistically, it's hard, right? Most of you, uh, you can't remember the last time you were not busy. You're so busy all the time between work, between kids, between social activities, between friendships, between, like it's just hard even to carve out an hour sometimes to find space to maintain and cultivate and feed your commitment to a community. And I get that. I get that. I also get that especially after a really negative interaction with someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus acts contrary to who the person of Jesus, I understand how troubling that can be. And I understand the impulse in the aftermath of that to say, you know what, forget that. I don't want to do the whole church thing anymore. I'd be lying to you if there wasn't a moment in my life where I've felt or even thought the same. But here's why I don't, okay? Here's why I don't. It's because while the answer to the question that we are wrestling with today of do you have to be, do you have to go to church to be a good Christian, while the answer to that is no, the answer to the question of whether or not you have to be the church? <laughs> Sorry. That one ain't optional. You see, friends, when you signed up to be a follower of Jesus, when you said, even said, I want to be interested, I want to see what this dude's about, when you did that, church took on an entirely different meaning. Actually, it's real meaning. You see, friends, the way the Bible talks about church, church ain't a program. It ain't a place. 
It ain't a person. It ain't a pastor. It ain't none of that. It's an identity. It's an identity. It's your new family. Every single one of you, if you sign up to follow Jesus, guess what happens? He leads you right down the road. You go around this corner, around this corner, and then he throws you into a really messy, imperfect family called the church. And from then on, you're stuck with us. We're stuck with you. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Rachel Held Evans. Rachel Held Evans said this about church. She said this. She said, when you join a church, you're just picking which hot mess is your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And you're doing so because there's going to be a day when you're going to need that hot mess of a family to bring you a casserole to sit with you when you're crying, to grab coffee with you when you're so unbelievably confused about the direction of your life. And because there's someone out there who's going to need the same for you. And you'll have to be here in order for God to arrange that meeting. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.